Will you turn with me to the Word of God, please, this evening? There's Bad Daddy again tonight, Paul. Turn with me to First Samuel chapter 4. We're going to be doing some reading tonight. First Samuel chapter 4. And for an opening reading, we'll begin at verse 15. First Samuel chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning to read at verse 15. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What? Is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been so great a slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hopni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. It came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck break and he died. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child near to be delivered, and when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. She named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken. And because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Keep your Bible open. But let's buy on a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for those you brought in in such a rainy night tonight, to hear your word and to sit in your presence. We ask you now, Lord, that you would settle our hearts, that you would settle us in your presence. And Lord, settle us in our seats also. Lord, we pray there be no more moving for you want to speak to hearts tonight. And you want to speak to lives. And Father, whatever you deem fit to have said to us, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would say it, that we would not be able to deny it nor forget it, but rather to accept it and believe it and to glorify the name of the Lord Jesus in everything. We'll love you and worship you. We thank you for this freedom and liberty that we still have to come and gather together tonight. So, Father, bless your people and bless our families represented. For those who aren't with us tonight, for those who are maybe sick or away visiting or, or somewhere else tonight, we ask you to give them their portion of the blessing. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help me with these clay lips to glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. Ichabod. Or as the Hebrew calls it, Ichavod. We'll call it Ichabod. 
In other words, the word for glory is kavod in the Hebrew, kavod. And kavod means honor, reputation, dignity, splendor, and such words. In other words, when we speak of the glory of God, we speak of the honor of God, the reputation of God, the dignity of God, the splendor of God. It's all wrapped up in his glory. Ikavod means no glory. Kavod means glory. Ikavod or Ikavod means no glory. Or it means there is no glory. It can also mean something is inglorious or someone is inglorious. But it means the glory of God is departed. Israel are rejoicing with an exuberant praise. And so much that it reaches the ears of their enemies, the Philistines. And the Philistines have a decision to make. Do we fight Israel or do we go into flight from Israel? First Samuel chapter 4 and verse 5. Look what it says. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang Again, Now notice that. They shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. Sounds fantastic, yet by the end of our story, we see they're defeated. They're praising God, but yet they're defeated. A great slaughter has come upon them. The glory of the Lord has departed, and they don't even realize this. But what has went wrong? We're going to look at it tonight. We need to look at it even for our nation. What has went wrong in our nation, yet... With recent events, we see God blessing us for a moment in time. God wanting us to be free uh, from tyranny and bondage. And, And we see in our own lives it can happen. And we see in our own province it can happen. In our islands it can happen. But it can happen in our assemblies. When the glory of God may be departed and things go on as usual. In other words, there's no anointing. There's no real presence of God. There's no reality of the Holy Spirit in the way it was in time of old. They shouted and were told the earth rang again. There's a similar story in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 45. And it's when Solomon is being anointed king over Israel. 1 Kings 1.45 says, And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet hath anointed him king in Gihon. And they came up from thence rejoicing. Notice, so that the city rang again. This is the noise that you have heard. The people heard a noise, didn't know what the whole tumult was. What is this manner of praise? And it was something good had happened that Solomon was anointed king after the passing, of course, of his father David. So something happens and it happens again. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 23 says, Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord, or the throne of Jehovah, Yahweh, as king instead of David his father, notice, and prospered and all Israel obeyed him. Here was a man in a nation who revered the presence of God. A man in a nation who looked for the anointing of the Spirit, And they, as according to the ways of the Lord, they anointed Solomon in the place of David. And anointing him, God saw their obedience. 
God heard their worship. The nation joined in and came under the authority of God and the earth. And what happened? They were prospered. God blessed them and God prospered them. In other words, God, as it were, opened up the windows of heaven and poured them out a blessing that there was not enough room to contain it. For even the very gold was so common, it was like stones on the street in the day of Solomon. Such was the kingdom at this time. But in our reading and in our chapter in 1 Samuel 4, what happens? They're praising God and yet there's a great slaughter and a great defeat. Notice, first of all, the earth rang and then in Solomon's time, the city rang. The word for earth there is the word Eretz. Eretz. And it means the whole earth or it can mean a parcel of earth or a piece of earth or a nation where a nation with boundaries of earth. So it doesn't mean the whole of the earth heard them praising, but all that were around the land at the time, they heard a tumult we hear of Eretz Israel, which is the land of Israel. And that's what it means. The whole land rang again with the praises. The whole land heard it and started to rejoice in it. The city rang again. So again, gives the idea of something which happened in the past may have died away and now is being repeated. And now is being repeated. David died and Israel mourned. And now Solomon is in his place as the Lord had chosen him. And now they rejoice under the influence of the Spirit. They rejoice under the anointing of God and they obey the Lord. And so they prosper. What happened in 1 Samuel 4? Though that Israel came under a great defeat and there was a great slaughter in the land. You see, something happened to cause a lack in the land. Joy seems to have been removed. Strength seems to have gone. Hopes have been dashed. Darkness has covered the light. Fear had overcome faith. And the Philistines were either would extinguish the flame or put out the fire that once belonged to God. The earth, the land, the people we're now rejoicing again. And you know, while I'm going to take this a different direction, I want you to see that, you know, there's always an again with God for you. And even when you feel God, there's always an again with God. A place, a nation, a people, a person, an assembly, a church assembly, whenever they turn to God in truth, there's always an again, and God will bring rejoicing to the repentant heart. And those who set him before him will find there's always what we call the second chance. He is the God of the second chance and the God of the third chance and the fourth and the fifth and the million chances for we are kept by his grace through faith every day, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Here, we have to ask ourselves, have we lost our sense of God as Christians? Your closeness in fellowship with him? Has your flame gone out? Your fire been extinguished? Have you lost your way or your vision, your joy, your hope and your passion? Has fear overcome your faith? Has your light been diminished? And uh, and has everything that you deemed as hope been put into the back burners and the recesses of your mind and heart? Listen to what Psalm 51 verse 12 says. David says, He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Do you know why he says that? Because he had lain with Bathsheba, a married woman. And he took Uriah the Hittite, her husband, 
and tried to trick him for Bathsheba would be with child to go lie with her. And Uriah being more honorable even than David at this time, he would not lie with his wife while the armies of Israel were fighting. David writes a letter and gives it to old Joab and says, put Uriah in the hottest most part of the battle when he goes again. For I know when he's in the hottest most part of the battle, he's sure to be slain. Then I'll be free from this sin. You see, you can't be free from your sin by doing other wrongs. We have the saying, two wrongs don't make a right, and that's true. And you can't be free from sin by doing other wrongs. And sin in our lives will hinder the blessing of God. David realizes this under the anointing of the Spirit. And he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. David was saying, I can't shake this off unless I come to you and repent. Bad word today, repentance. But the only clearance of the mind and the only purification of the heart is to come in repentance and bow the knee before Almighty God. David cried this out and he found he had another chance. Again, he found rejoicing in his heart. For example, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 12, we have again, I mentioned a little bit of Song of Solomon strangely this morning, but uh, the, the, the Solomon here writing to the Shulamite girl and the Shulamite girl is singing back to Solomon in this lovely book and and many preachers don't touch on it because they they think maybe it shouldn't be there but you know everything is pure in God and this love relationship represents Christ and his redeemed the Shulamite was a young woman who was put out into the field and she became dirty and tarnished. She says, look not upon me for my skin is black and uncomely. And it means not that her skin was black in a derogatory matter for a person whose skin is black, but rather her skin was weather beaten and it was sunburnt and it was cracked and it was dirty. For she says, other vineyards have I kept, but mine own have I not kept. Maybe her raggedy old clothes are upon her and one day she sees the great regal and royal, the King Solomon, who sits on the throne of Jehovah, whom we have talked about, coming down whether on horse or chariot, we do not know. And the idea of the song is as he comes down, this young woman is in the field, ready to move away for here comes the great King. How would he ever want me? How would he ever think of me? Why would he talk to me? He'd probably run over me in his chariot. The idea is in his grace he comes down and condescends down to her level and he gives his hand to her and he says arise my love my fair one and come away take my hand he says from the field of sin and take my hand from the bondage you're in and take my hand from the dirt you find yourself in and take my hand from the sunburnt look take my hand and I'll clothe you and I'll clean you and I will bless you and this great royal and this great regal sings a love song. He falls in love with this young woman and she now falls in love with this great king. Wonderful thing is, is when he, he brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me as love. And yet in the banqueting house, she's looking one day at the curtains of Solomon, these flowing, blowing, beautiful, colorful, magnificent drapes that are hanging from the palaces of Solomon. What a difference from she has been in the field till now she's in the palace of God. What a difference it is. And she says, I am as the tents of Kedar. 
She looks at herself and realizes, see the real me. Brother, sister, see the real me. See the real you. See the real depraved humanity that we are. See the real fallen, godless sinners that we are in our flesh. Do you see the real lost sheep that we are without Christ? We are as the tents of Kedar. They, they, these tents, they were put up and these were traveling people. And as they traveled, they put them up and lived for weeks or months and end. They were beaten with the sand and they were beaten with dirt. And they were lived in. There was smoke blowing around them from their fires at night. And they became tarnished and torn and burnt. And she says this and goes, I am as the tents of Kedar. I'm tarnished and I'm dirty and I'm burnt and, and I'm weather beaten and I'm really not worth a lot. But as she is now cleaned and clothed and cleansed and sitting at the banqueting table of the great King Solomon who sits on the throne of Jehovah in his palace and she's feasting at his table and his love is her love and her love is his love. She realizes one day and she sees the curtain. She says, oh, I'm as a tense of Kedar. Then realizes she's been cleansed. She realizes she's been clothed. She realizes she's been changed. She realizes she's been washed and she's blessed by him. And she says, oh, I am as the tents of Kedar and she says as the curtains of Solomon now I'm like the curtains of Solomon beauty is upon me for grace from my king and beauty is upon you by the grace of your king tonight the beauty of the Lord Jesus is upon all those who know him as their saviour and oh we were once as the tents of Kedar now we're as the curtains of Solomon so out in the field the great king comes to this young woman in Solomon 2 and 12 and he says, the flowers appear on the earth and the time of sing of birds has come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. <laughs> and here he's saying, look, see the flowers. Flowers are coming in springtime. And as flowers start to spring up from the dry and the barren land after all the ravages of winter and there's no life and it's all death. But look, he says, it's again coming. Singing is coming. Rejoicing is coming. Blessing is coming. Help is coming. Hope is coming. Joy will be in your life. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. He says, look, the flowers are starting to bloom. And as the flowers start to bloom, so will you. He says, I'm taking you to be with me. I'm taking you to live in my palace. I'm taking you. The flowers on the earth. The time of the singing of birds has come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The turtle is the turtle dove. The turtle dove was a migratory bird with a distinct of cooing and a cooed all day. And you couldn't miss this bird, I'm told. That the cooing of the dove, it meant that spring, new life, new birth, new happenings, new, new, new were coming. And it was rising up to bring us into a glorious summer in the fairy palaces of our great Solomon. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is what we're looking at tonight for once we are in our winter clothing and maybe we're in our winter molting and maybe we're in our winter time in the time of darkness and shadows and dreariness and, and all the things that hold us down and pull us back and we don't seem to make any headway or make any forward motion or movement then suddenly the flowers start to grow and they start to bloom and the sound of the turtle dove is singing in our ears and the preachers are preaching there is hope in the Lord there is strength in our God trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths here is our great Solomon yes again and maybe you're in this place maybe you're in this place where you find oh there's nothing for me in this life 
Maybe you're in this place where you find, oh, there's no hope left. I've, I've, I've let the Lord down and I'll never be forgiven. Listen, brother, listen, sister. He will always forgive those who come with a contrite and a humble heart. And he will always forgive you and bring you back to his banqueting table again. Yes, there's a noise in the land again. Israel are singing and there's a, a noise in the city again because of Solomon's anointing. See, the ark was a type of Christ. And in the ark, there was the pot of manna. Speaking of Jesus, I am the bread of life. And in that, also in the pot, in the ark, not only was the pot of manna, but there was the broken tablets of the law showing that you and I had broken the law of God. And only by grace in him keeping the law can you and I be forgiven and saved. And then that ark was also Aaron's raw, the bud had blossomed and bloomed. And that means that was just a stick, a dead, lifeless stick cut down from a tree. But when it was placed before the Lord, the Lord and his spirit and the Lord by his anointing caused the dead to be raised to life and brought forth the buds. The bottom bloomed and budded before the very ark of the Lord. And here is a type of Christ coming, but something still happened. There was a great, a great and a terrible defeat in Israel. So what happened? What happened? Because the city Solomon is a great type of the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 11 and 31, Jesus says, speaking of himself, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than the Shulamites king. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He, he is the governor of the nations. He is the one who's above all, the great creator, the Elohim, the I am. He says, I am that I am. And he's the one who spoke to Moses and all of the prophets. And he's your God, he's my God. And he died on the cross for me. Oh, glory to his name tonight. You see, here we have, one is a blessing and prosperous and the other one, we think we're doing right, but something goes wrong. Will you turn with me to Isaiah 57, please? Isaiah 57. We have a, a, a little uh, telltale scripture of some things that happen in our lives. And we are going to look at a few points just briefly after we read this. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Listen to what the Lord says. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth. For the spirit shall feel before me and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth and smote him. I hid me and was wroth. And he went on frowardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways, and will heal him. I will lead him also and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. Notice what God's saying. He says, I've dealt with people before. And they wouldn't listen. I dealt with people. I am the high and lofty one which inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place, he says. And I'm the one who is the great creator, yet I came down to man. And with him it's with a, a contrite and a, a humble spirit. What makes us contrite and humble is when God takes a dealing with us. And if God is taking a dealing with us, then we would be better. We'd be more sure to yield to his dealing, to yield to his leading. For he says, I have come and spoken and dealt and you haven't listened. So I hid myself. So I hid myself. 
Anyone tonight feel that God has hidden himself? Where are you, Lord? I hid myself. He says, I was angry. You know, thank God that he hides himself sometimes, for if he poured out his anger, (laughs) we would be finished. You see, that's grace. That's grace for you. That's mercy. He says, I hid myself. God will hide himself from the sinner until they repent. And then when they do, revival can come. You know what's wrong with the church? They don't believe in repentance anymore. They don't believe in repentance. How can we expect our nation to repent when the church lives like the world? And how can we expect the nation to repent when we don't believe we need to repent also? Oh, I repented at the cross, yeah. Yeah. And you probably would really need to repent. And so would I, every second of every day. He says, I will lead, I will heal, I will restore to those who are contrite and humble. I'm with you. Listen, he's with you. He's with you. Samuel 4, we see all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang. Samuel 4 and 6, we're told something else happened then. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 6. And the Philistines heard the noise of the shout. They said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood uh, that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. Now, take note of that. They understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. So, first of all, the Philistines heard. And then, secondly, they understood what was happening. Look at verse 7. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing hereto before. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight, and the Philistines fought. Now here's something we must note. The fear of being in bondage to the devil. I mean the devil being afraid of being in bondage. His own fear causes him either to fight or to take flight. And the condition of God's people will depend on how they do when he does. The Philistines said, we're afraid. The Philistines heard they were afraid. Then they understood that, well, God is in the midst of them. And then they decided, we're so afraid, do we take flight or will we fight? And we're told, and the Philistines fought. Notice this. The devil. The devil in your life. The devil in church life, the devil in national life, the devil, Satan himself, he knows he hath but a short time. He knows he hath but a short time. And he knows, according to the book of Revelation chapter 20, that he is going to be bound a thousand years. 
Now he knows this, and he knows this very well. And he says, they're rejoicing. Oh, look at the church. The church are up and they're rejoicing and, and they're doing all manner of things and all manner of programs and all manner of, of, of ceremonies and rituals. Oh, maybe God's in the middle of them. That's flight or that's fight. And so he attacks in the state of the church that falls. That's what's wrong with the church. That's what's wrong with us. But God was there, was he not? Look at chapter 2 for a moment. We're going to look at this. Three quick points, if I can do it as quick as I can. Look, why did this happen, this great slaughter? What happened did it, What happened that they were able to overcome? First of all, they overcame because there was sin in the camp. They overcame and they fell under great slaughter because there was sin in the camp. Eli, the high priest, had two sons. His sons were Hopni and Phineas. Hopni means fighter, brawler. Phineas means mouth of brass. You can guess what that means. These two priests of Israel were the sin in Israel. Don't say it again. These two priests, these two sons of Eli, they were the sin in Israel. They hindered the blessing of God in Israel. And God was there, as it were, represented in the ark. But the blessing was hindered. The anointed presence was withheld. And the Lord hid himself. God would not pour out the blessing while unconfessed unrepented of sin was in the midst. They lived in an open course of sin before Almighty God and they thought they'd get away with it. They thought they could live in it. But God saw it. God saw it. God restrained his glory from them. Instead of victory came violence. Instead of blessing came a curse. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 12 tells us, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Eh? They knew not the Lord. And these were the men who were leading the nation. These were the men who were leading, as it were, the church of the day. These were the men who were saying, oh, we'll have great victory in God. Let's have a praise and worship night and let's roll around the floors and let's kick up the dust and let's do crazy things and let's have ceremonies and rituals and sure God is on our side and they didn't even know God. And he says, we will lead you into battle. They were the sin of Israel. They were the sin in the camp. Chapter 2 1 Samuel chapter 2, please, verse 22. Look at what it says in verse 22. Now Eli was very old and heard it, heard all that his sons did unto Israel and how they lay with women that were assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. 
If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. You know what uh, Eli did here? He covered their sin. Oh, but he told them, no, 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 no. He may have privately went to them. He covered their sin. Look, guys, I know you're wrong. Let me give you the daddy pep talk. Now, I know you're wrong. Come on, can you not do better? They're causing it to go through Israel. The sin is spreading. It's like the little leaven leaveneth a whole lot. And many people get affected by the sin that comes into the church. And he's saying, look, eh, boys, you just need to slow down a little and just try and pep your lives up a bit. But they wouldn't listen to daddy's pep talk. Now listen to this. Imagine a preacher being like this today. John Trapp, the Puritan. His commentary on this, and I've quoted him. Listen to what he says about Eli, what he should have said to his two sons. You ready? He should have said, Draw near hither, ye sons of the sorceress, ye seed of the adulterer and the whore, ye degenerate brood and sons of Belial, not of Eli, ye brats of fathomless perdition. It is stinking not that I hear, and woe is me that I yet live to hear it. It had been better that I had died long since, or that you had been buried alive, than to live and to stink above the ground. Imagine that being your preacher. I'm not far off him sometimes, I know. Imagine that being your preacher. Eli should have dealt with it. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's even your own children. The truth is the truth. Sin is sin. We must put it away or the blessing will be withheld. We admit to the Lord that we're wrong. And when they come to us, we forgive them for their being forgiven before the Lord. And we help them on their way in God. But hidden sin is like the very, uh, the very cups that were put under the tent of Achan. And when Israel fell again, they wondered what had happened. And it was Achan's sin he made Israel to sin by it being covered in his tent. And they fell. Wow. Today we're told in our church circles, we're under grace. You can live how you like. You can do what you want. The Lord Jesus would say, ye adulterers. And the adulteresses who have warned you to flee from the wrath of the come. That's what he would say. Now, if this should have been Eli's speech, according to John Trapp, to his sons, how can one expect unhindered blessing from Almighty God, who is intrinsically holy and glorious? Brothers and sisters, please grasp this. Please grasp this. How do we expect? 
How do we expect God to move? How do we expect God to bless? How do we expect God to pour out his spirit? How do we expect God to pour out from the windows of heaven that there be not enough room for us to contain it when there's so much sin in our nation and in our land, when there's so much depravity for what is going on, the abortion of little children on demand, and the things that are happening, the wickedness of man's hands, and the war and the violence and the hate and all the things that are happening. That's all okay. And in the church, we live with one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. But really, you're not in Christ at all. You're just living for the devil. How do we expect unhindered blessing? Surely we can cry, Ichabod. Ichabod over that life. Ichabod over that assembly. Ichabod over that denomination. Ichabod over the nation. The glory of God has departed. There is no glory. The enemy could attack and overcome them because of unrepentant hearts, ungodly leadership and sin in the camp. Look, sacrificial carcasses and skins and their flesh and their dung in Leviticus 16 and 17 were to be taken after the, the animal's blood was shed and taken outside the camp and later in Jerusalem taken outside the city walls and burned. And the kept burning because of the continual sacrifices. And that's where we get Gehenna fire from. A picture of hell fire. Gehenna fire where the, the, the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. That's where Jesus seen that and he takes that from for what happens to uh, in the next life to come if you want. He gives us this expression and he gives us this, uh, this parable of what it is. So all of this was to be taken out. This was the sinful bit, the rotten bit. This was the, the bit that needed to be thrown out of the camp and, and just by the blood they were to stay. Do you know in Hebrews 13 and 12 it says of the Lord Jesus, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. He suffered outside the walls of Jerusalem. You know why? Because they took him out there, for he was numbered with the transgressors. He was just a, a sin, a curse, and he was a byword. He was a, 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 great, a great rebel toward Caesar, and he was hated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was a threat to all of them. And they says, this man's a great sinner because he maketh himself God. He says he's equal with God. He's a blasphemer. And so they take him, take him down the Via Dolorosa, the sorrowful way. And he's carrying his cross and he goes over the Brook Kidron, out to Kidron Valley. And he goes right out until Calvary, until Golgotha, the place of the skull, outside the city walls. You know why? They crucified him there because he was worthless in the eyes of the people. He was a shame and a scorn. And listen, they thought of us, there's no glory. I'll tell you something, when they took Christ out of Jerusalem that day, and the temple was there, as they took him out, glory wasn't in the Jerusalem. The glory wasn't in the temple. Glory wasn't in the Holy of Holies. Glory was in Christ going out the gate. That's where glory was. The glory of God would shine in the face of Jesus Christ. He hung on the cross and the blood streamed down his face. It was the glory of God. The cross is the glory of God. It's not a failure of God. The cross is the glory of God. 
The blood of Jesus is the glory of God. Man takes him as a byword and a curse and a taunt. And they scorn at him and they hate him without a cause. But he is the glory of the Father. Ichabod could be written over the doors of the temple and the gates and the walls of Jerusalem for Christ had been taken out. So sin in the camp must be taken out. Secondly, quickly, their cup of iniquity was full. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? And did I give unto the house of thy fathers all the offerings made by the fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me. Notice, he says to Eli, you're honoring your sons above me. Sons of Belial. And you're honoring them above me. In other words, you're not going to your sons and you're saying, you're wrong, you're sinning before God. I love you, but you're wrong. Ah, Jesus says, if any man love son or daughter or mother and father more than me, he's not worthy of me. Think about this. Oh, we love our children with all our heart, but if they're wrong before God, then we must deal with it. Acknowledge it. You're wrong. Shouldn't have been anywhere near the priesthood because of their sin. And he says, you honored your sons above me. Look at verse 30. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that my house and the house of my father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me. For them that honor me, I will honor. And them that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Do you know why many people are lightly esteemed? Because they're not honoring God. The honor, they honor, they honor the, 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 the lust of the flesh before God. They honor the, the things of the world before God. They honor their workplace before God. They honor their families before God. Yes, they honor their wives and their husbands before God. My wife's here and I love her, but God comes first. Christ is first in our life. She is here and, and I'm the same with her, but God is first no matter what. Them that honor me, I will honor. They honor their overtime before God. They honor their luxuries before God. They honor their cars before God and their businesses before God. They honor everything but the living God. Ah, and then we go, Lord, send your spirit. (laughs) Wow. Their cup of iniquity was up for, look what it says in verse 31. Behold, it is come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there should not be an old man in thine house, and thou shalt see an enemy in thy habitation, and all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine house, whom I shall cut off from mine altar, shall be to consume thine eyes and to grieve thine heart, and with all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of the rage. And this shall be a sign unto thee, that shall come upon thy two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, in one day, shall die both of them. God says, the cup of their iniquity is almost full. 
and you're as bad as them, Eli. You're as bad as them. The man and the woman, the Christian, who cries not against the sin in our land will become as bad as them. He says that the both of them would die. Their cup was full this day. The day of God's judgment had arrived. And maybe it was unbelieved by them, but it was definitely unexpected. We're told that Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside, watching for his heart trembled for the ark. Hey, his son's out there fighting. God's not going to do this. (laughs) Judgment isn't going to come. It's not going to touch my house. I know God. He's not like that. Is that what you hear? I know. And, and I think God will do this. And I think God will do that. And what you do then, you've made an idol in your mind of who your God is. And you become God of your God. And he's sitting there. I'll just watch the ark. I'm waiting on it. I'm more worried about it, my sons. He didn't realize this was the day, the time, the battle when God's word would come to pass. Hopni and Phinehas would die together in battle along with 30,000 footmen of Israel. Because they had set their there's sin among the people. They didn't realize their cup was full. Luke 12 and 20. The Lord says to the man, Thy fool, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. He didn't know. Proverbs 12 and 20. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And Job 36 and 18 says, Beware lest he take thee away with a stroke, then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Listen to Psalm 75 and verse 8. For the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, it is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all of the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. See the mixture, they believe it was a herb that was put into the wine that helped it become even stronger and more intoxicating. And he says, there's a hand full of this. He says, do you want it? And he put it to their lips. And he says, I'll pour it into them. And they'll even take of the dregs of it. Every single part of it. He says, they'll drink it and pay for it. You know what, brothers and sisters? See, when Jesus died for me and you, the Father poured the wrath out upon him. Every part of it. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that wrath, that cup of wrath, will never, ever be upon us, for Christ died for us. Yes, they cry, the cry is Ichabod, no glory. There is no glory. Ichabod, they are inglorious. No, the word inglorious really means they are shameful, disgraceful, and there's no honor for God. Hopney, the brawler, couldn't prevent what happened to him, but even though he was a brawler, a strong man. Phineas, the mouth of brass, who was much to speak and to say plenty in order. Uh, to judge and to, to walk with people and to tell them what to do. But his words only give glory to himself and there's no glory found for God. Ichabod, no glory. It's inglorious. The glory of God had departed and we're told that the, that the Ark of the Covenant went out. Do you know what happened? I'm going to finish now in a moment. Thank you for your attention. Do you know what happened? You see, we tend to think that God is only glorious when we give him glory. <laughs> We tend to think that God is only glorious because we sing praises and give him glory. Well, you know what? The God is always glorious. God is intrinsically glorious. He is glorious. And he just likes to share it with us sometimes. No matter what you do and I do, it doesn't make him less glorious. God's glory is not only in blessing. 
You ready? God's glory is also in his judgment. God is glorified in his judgment. Romans 11 and 12 says, Behold therefore the goodness. Oh, we love that bit. God's good all the time. Yes, we love him. The goodness, listen, and the severity of God. The severity of it. In Ezekiel 28, God's speaking to the king of Tyrus and the spirit behind the king of Tyrus is, is Lucifer or Satan himself. And, and God says, Thou art thou in the garden of God. Speaking of Eden when he tempted Eve and so on. He says, thou art in the garden of God. Speaking to the man, but the spirit behind it, like Christ said to Peter, get thou behind me, Satan, for thou uh, uh, regardest of things not of God, but of man. Speaking to the spirit behind it. And God says to Satan, you were in the garden of God, but in Ezekiel 28 and 22, says, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against thee, O Zidon, and I will look, be glorified in the midst of thee. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall have executed judgment in her and shall be sanctified in her. In other words, God says, you live up the way you are Sodom and Gomorrah and Zidon. And you live like that Belfast or Britain or wherever you want. And you live like that, the nations of the world. And you live away from me, person. And you live without me, uh, sinner. You live away from me, denying my son and rejecting his work on the cross. He says, you do that, but one day I will be glorified as God. That's what he's saying. I'd be in the midst and I'll be set apart from the people and I will have everyone to him every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. I'd be glad to know I'm finishing in two minutes. I said that two minutes ago, didn't I? Their cup was full, time was up, God's word was fulfilled. It had come to pass and as Ichabod is cried out all over the people, God shows that he alone is the possessor of glory. Giving glory to God does not make him more glorious, but rather giving glory to God as you and I acknowledging him for who and what he already is. Glorious. That's what it is. Thirdly and finally, there's superstition and misdirected trust. First Samuel 4 and 3, they said, let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us that when it cometh among us, notice, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. It may save us. Oh, friend, look. The ark was a sign that God's covenant was with them. But it wasn't in the ark, it was in the God of the covenant. Look, see this Bible here. See this, the word of God. See this book. I cherish it. I love it. I read it every day. I study it. I go into my study for hours and hours and hours and end. And it thrills me every single time I go in. And it strengthens my heart and it supports my soul and it carries me on in the hard times. This word is written on my heart. It's imprinted upon my mind. It is even in my mouth to speak it. And I'll tell you, this word, this book here, the actual pages in the ink, I don't sleep with it under my pillow as a good luck charm. My my worship is not for this book. It's for the God of the book. It's for the God of the word. Their misdirected trust was in their idol. The ark became an idol. Bring it in. It'll save us. Look, I will look onto the hills for once come of my help. I see the hills. Yeah, let's go up the hills and worship. No, my help cometh from the Lord which made the heavens and the earth. It's not in the things. It's in the living God. 
So, the honor of God and his reputation came down upon the ark. That's when the ark meant something. When the glory came down. When the honor came down. When God came down. When his reputation was there. That's when the power moved. They sounded good. They shouted much. They seemed right and ready for battle. But program and performance and ritual and religion among many other things, cannot, does not, shall not, and will not substitute for the reality of the power of the Holy Ghost. They looked the part, they sounded good, but the enemy could either fight or flight, and they chose to fight, and they chose right. You know why? Because sometimes there's many people, and they're going haywire, and things are going, as we would say, ballistic all over the place. There's all sorts of programs, and there's nice little things, and there's nice little happenings, and there's nice things that come into the church, and we, we decorate it well. And I know there's one in America, and they bring cars on, and the preacher sits in the car and preaches from them along a platform just to bring in the crowds, you know. And, and this is the things they're doing. They're doing programs, and they're bringing in worldly things in order to substitute the power and the glory of God. But the power and the glory of God is in this book. And preaching of the word and preaching of Christ and the blood of the Lamb. That's the only power there is. There's no other power. Uh, the enemy seen it and thought, huh, we might as well fight. And the old devil, he knows that he half but a short time and he attacked. And when he attacked, he realized, this is all bluster. This is all bluster. There's nothing in this. It's Ichabod. The glory had departed. Their house was built in sand. Their foundation was gone. They were shouting and sounding like tinkling cymbals and sounding brass. Whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones. They were having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. They were like clouds without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They were like wells without water. They were singing and praising but there was no anointing. There's no anointing. As Peter, 1 Peter 2 and 19 says, why they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. The ark was taken captive and they cry for it rather than cry for the living God. And in the end of it, they cry, Ichabod, the honor, the power, the glory of God has departed. I pray in our lives, in our assemblies, in our nation, that this will not be cried over. Ichabod. But rather, when we praise, it will be in spirit and in truth. And the power of God will be in the midst for the glory of the Lord and for his praise. Amen. God bless everyone. God bless his word to all of our hearts. You'll remember that word Ichabod from now on, won't you?